0: I will teach you about yourself. About you. Until you are ready. For what? To fight legends.
1: A fugitive with evidence of high-level treason. Enough to send the entire government into chaos. Is trapped on board the station. You're in great danger, Captain. On an all-new Babylon 5.
2: You have transmissions holding.
3: Badge incoming signal. Full audio and video decode.
2: Purple files accessed.
4: What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the Grey Council.
2: There, in podcast land. Welcome to Gray Seventeen, a Babylon Five podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We are a group of newbies watching the show for the very first time, and some folks who have probably watched it way too many times. And we are in knee deep into season two, way past the halfway point at this point, and talking about the episode "Hunter Prey." Before we get started talking about the episode, I am Scott, and with me is Blake, Emily, Mike,
3: Kevin, Andrew.
2: Nicole and Justin and reminder to please make sure you check out our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, as well as our YouTube page. Or if you're on YouTube, we also have an audio podcast as well and all those links are down in the description below along with that we do have our patreon a special thank you to all of our producers who are members of the Greg council but any level on the patreon will get you access to our discord where we've been talking recently about spoilers on the beyond the rim part of the discord and chatting about just other fun stuff in the general chat so you can check that out as well too but our patreon is linked down below You know, I was looking for reviews and we actually don't have any new reviews this week, guys, which means everybody out there, please go to Apple iTunes or to Audible, which we can do reviews there as well, or anywhere else that your app allows you to do reviews and send them in to us. So if it's a, you know, somewhat decent review. Uh, we'll definitely read on in the air but the one thing i did do is i sent out a request for our facebook people to tell us their impressions on hunter prey so i was going to read one real quick for you so graham over on facebook says it's a lot of fun an immense amount of nifty references to classic noir crime films i love how the conspiracy of our leading four humans on the station now gets to have a low-key comic noir adventure It's a little bit Casablanca, a little bit Maltese Falcon, but rather than Bogart, Garibaldi does Bruce Willis, of course. A real sense of the home team working all together and having a fun little adventure. Also, huge development with Kosh. Let's see where that goes. So thanks, Graham, for posting that impression, and you can join the conversation on Facebook by clicking the link below. Let's go ahead and dive into Hunter Prey, and Mike, I believe you have a synopsis for us.
5: Yes, I do, Scott. This week on Babylon 5. The president's personal physician goes on the lam with sensitive information that can blow the lid off of a vast conspiracy within EarthGov. Meanwhile, Sheridan tries to make a friend. Franklin and Garibaldi go on a buddy cop adventure, and everybody gets spooky with a weird spaceship.
2: Spooky with a weird spaceship. And it's not a murder
4: (laughs) spider ship, Nicole. Best synopsis ever, bro. Like, I don't even want to try to write one.
2: Ah,
5: shit. I was going to say something about Bull from Night Court. Anyway. (laughs) We'll get
4: there. <laughs> there's a lot of cameos in
2: this episode there absolutely is i also think and andrew maybe you can help me out with this uh because you're the wrestling guy dr jacobs absolutely looks like a wrestler what wrestler does he look like he's got like the pointed chin and the bull haircut he just strikes me as a wrestling guy
6: he looks familiar but i don't know it's not a wrestler though oh, shit
5: yeah i looked it up i i immediately recognized what he was from when i saw it but
2: uh I'll
4: have to find it again he kind of reminded me of the monopoly man <laughs> uncle money backs
2: yeah <laughs> well now that mike is uh googling and andrew yep. is uh
6: i guess like an older dax harwood but
2: <laughs> i think maybe because he's got like the hulk hogan like i'm bald but trying not to be look and he's got like the hard chin he just looked like a wrestler to me
6: oh, oh what's his name Tully blanchard Tully blanchard with a mustache
2: Okay, I'll go with it. I don't know who that is, but I'll go with it. Speaking of going with it, let's jump into first impressions. Emily, first impressions on Hunter Prey.
0: I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. I did notice that Cranston was in DS9. um, A very interesting character in DS9, but whatever. We also had Bull from Night Court, so that was actually pretty exciting. Um, It was rude to see him as a bad guy. I'm really interested to know more about Kosh's ship. That was not entirely
2: what i saw coming and moving on to our another newbie andrew first impressions yeah i also like
6: this episode uh uh i like that we were finally getting a somewhat kosh centric episode uh even though in typical kosh fashion we still ne- know next to nothing about him or the borlon yeah, that's about it nicole first impressions
4: so I really liked this episode. I thought there was a lot going on. Um, It was kind of like serious, but also kind of fun. Like Mike said, with like the buddy cop with Franklin and Garibaldi and Ivanova and um Sheridan are in on it. Like they all kind of conspire to, you know, help this guy out. And it was just kind of fun to see them like, off the books. Uh, so that was really cool. Um, it was interesting to learn more about Kosh and his ship and the dynamic between Kosh and Sheridan was really interesting. I really, really started to like Sheridan in this episode. There was just like, I don't know, there was like a change in him for me, at least that I feel like, OK, he's cool. Like, I I, I like him now. So uh, I'm now officially Team Sheridan, although I'll always love Sinclair first. And then I don't know where the hell I've been, but I just noticed in this episode, Nicky or Jeff Conway. I was like, he's been in so many episodes. How did I just like, oh, yeah, he really is in this show. Like, I feel like a complete ditz, but uh, he had a lot. He had a more active role, I guess, in this episode. Uh, So that was interesting. I've been racking my brain on who the lady was asking him or bringing him the message. She looks really familiar and I know I can't Google and it's driving me absolutely nuts because I know I've seen her before. Overall, I thought it was really cool to learn a little bit more about Kosh and then kind of stick it to the man, you know? She is Wanda de Jesus. And Wanda de Jesus, she is uh,
2: best known for RoboCop 2.
4: <gasps> that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really like that you Are you serious? That? <laughs> yes, because I'll tell you why. <laughs> I just
2: pulled that on my ass, by the way.
4: <laughs> I have watched the RoboCop movies with my dad a billion times. So that's amazing.
3: She's also in a relationship with Jimmy Smith since the '80s. Oh,
2: maybe, maybe that's, that's why it makes sense. But yeah, I, I just pulled *Rebel Cop* and I'm I'm impressed. Oh, hey, she was uh Andrew. You're not there yet, but *Sequest* 2032.
6: Oh, that's the third season. Yes. Yeah, and
7: Andrew, okay. save your time. Don't bother. Just stop at the end of season two. Trust us. We've no, no. been there. Keep we've, going. We've, yeah, just stop.
6: No, no, no. Like, hey, I, I, I paid good money for that
7: Blu-ray
3: set. I'm there's only like it. six episodes of the third season, anyways.
2: So. Twenty thirty two has Michael fucking Ironside. You be quiet. That's a good, good thing. And Michael, In R.I.P.
7: You're... And even he couldn't save that shit show. <laughs> <laughs> But R.I.P. Michael they, Ironside.
1: Didn't
2: they make Roy Schneider an, a villain in one of the episodes in 2032, too? Like, he became, like, a environmental terrorist just because? Yeah. Cool. That's But they gave Rob him a goatee when they did. Roy, oh, of
3: course they gave they him did. an evil goatee for that, it. Because he was from the Mirror Universe, apparently.
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from Wanda de Jesus and RoboCop 2. Justin, what is your first impressions?
1: I mean, since Kosh is my homie, and this being a nice, Kosh-heavy episode, I... I liked seeing them a lot. I kind of confirmed my suspicions. I think I had mentioned before about the Vorlon ships being similar to the only good thing to come out of Star Trek Voyager. And that was Species 8472 and their bio ships. Um, so it was kind of cool seeing that in action and understanding how those work a little bit better. And then, yeah, Richard Maul being in there. Bernie Casey playing Cranston. He was also Felix Darklighter in a Bond film. Never say never again. So um overall, cool episode. Definitely I enjoyed sitting there watching it with my little tinfoil hat on and
3: look forward to future discussion.
2: We'll move into our first ones now. Kevin, first impressions.
3: Yeah, in addition to seeing Richard Mull and Bernie Casey um and learning more about Kosh, this is a this is a pretty, pretty decent episode. Um, you know, you you the more you learn about earth force the the more you're like "Mm, it sounds a little shady so um but it's nice to have some more information on on that stuff to move the plot along with this one so um not not a ton of world building in this one but at least it uh at least it holds everybody's attention i thought i thought this was a good one for for franklin and garibaldi um yes franklin is still kind of a uh uh cantankerous sort but um he certainly is loyal which
2: i i admire mike first impressions
5: i didn't hate it you know overall this this is a pretty solid episode it's got some decent storylines there's 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 aspects of it that i really like unfortunately i think a lot of that is in the b plot yeah you know, i really like kind of like nicole this episode I, I was already on shared inside but this episode kind of endeared him to me even more because i really liked that that scene where he's like he just makes up his mind. Like it's been far too long that Kosh has been hanging out here and we don't know anything about him, that he hasn't done anything, he hasn't contributed anything, and I'm gonna go change it. Like I, I really liked that take chargeness in his character and how he went about doing that. You know, I guess the other thing is the rest of it is the rest of the plot, the A plot with the doctor and everything, it's it's fine, it's solid, it's fun. I will say, probably as the minority in the 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 pod here that uh, the I feel like Babylon Five is an epic space opera, and so like the storyline about what's going on on Earth and with EarthGov is something that doesn't particularly interest me. I'm way more interested in finding out about Morlands than I am about the conspiracy about who killed the president and why. Um, that's just me, but uh, so that's why this this episode it's it's solid. It just doesn't rate super high in my book. It's not it's not the, the big old space mystery that I like to see. Some good guest actors though. Uh, bernie casey is a great actor who's you've seen everybody has seen in something and who doesn't love seeing bull from nightport and uh by the way the doctor tony stidman has a very long imdb credit page and he is perhaps best known to me as socrates from bill and ted's excellent adventure
2: since you brought up bull and
6: socrates so great.
2: <laughs> Andrew got that reference. Since you brought up bull, I have to read another one of our Facebook posts. This one comes from Jim Pridgen. I'm bullish this night on how it will fare in the court of public opinion. Talking about the episode because puns are fun. Blake. I
7: respected. So it sounds like Mike's wanting a close encounter of the Vorlon kind there. Yes. You know, out of the show. So we'll we'll have to see if Mike uh, gets his prediction at some point, but You know, I like this episode. I think it's a pretty solid one. I think it's got a great guest cast in it as well. And you see some of the pieces, you know, follow up. This is, I think, the first real episode we get with a follow up from after General Haig talked to Sheridan and he kind of looped the rest of the command crew. And I think this is the first real follow up to that we get uh, with what's going on back on Earth. Although I will say, as as a Night Court fan, I really wish Max would have ended his call with Cranston with the, okay, That, that just would have made the episode if Max would have just done that.
2: Is anyone
4: watching the new night court? Is it? Yes.
7: It's good. It is good. They they really well. Mm
4: -hmm. I've been interested in it too. So if you guys recommend it, I'm, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, Yeah. it it is good. Yeah. So for me, you guys hit on most of it. I do really enjoy the buddy
2: cop that is Franklin and Garibaldi. And I'm looking forward to explain once again, right right. way. Franklin is a good character. What I really did enjoy about this episode with them is that conversation about the future. I think that was a fun conversation about, and it really is thematically what Babylon 5 is all about, isn't it? We got Star Trek, the utopian, beautiful future. We can pull food out of nothing. We have no money, all that wonderful stuff over here. But on B5, it's, we got everything we wanted, and what's next? What do we do? And it's just an interesting conversation that I think probably is absolutely something JMS has thought many a times and was able to slide it into his character's mouths, which he tends to do a lot. And of course, the Kosh stuff, I'm looking forward to hearing all of your thoughts on our good buddy, Kosh. So let's get into the conversation. And I think let's deal with the um, easier conversation in terms of length of the episode. And that is the Kosh slash cautious ship stuff first. What do you guys want to talk about with that? Nicole?
4: So I thought this was really interesting because the thing about Kosh that we, I mean, obviously we don't know much about him, but what I think think has been always fairly apparent is that there there's something about the vorlons that is way more advanced than maybe even the minbari you know um they seem to be the ones who always kind of know like when delenn went to kash about before going into the chrysalis um and you know just the way that kash was speaking to um sheridan about how you're not ready i'm going to teach you how to you know like teach you until you're ready to fight and like all this stuff. I almost feel like they have like a, like a, they know the future or whatever, like they know what's going to happen, like premonition. Um, And then with the ship, um, when Ivanovo was saying she watches the like patterns and stuff on the skin move. And when the beam went into Sheridan, it didn't like eviscerate or kill him or anything, which I'm still really not sure what it was doing. I feel like, for, at the very beginning when that happened i'm like this ship is like a lot like i was thinking it's like alive or like it's coherent or like it knows like if they're in danger or not uh, uh probing yes uh, that's what it was so the so th- i thought it was going to kill him or like hurt him or like cut him in half or something but clearly it didn't and Ivanova was saying that like she feels like when she watches it that it like knows and then just like watching the patterns change and then At the end, when, you know, Sheridan was saying all that, I was thinking, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. But like the even more interesting thing about Kosh and that whole encounter to me was Kosh said that he's going to teach Sheridan about himself and that Sheridan doesn't understand himself. So how is he going to understand Kosh if he doesn't understand himself, essentially? So I'm very interested in the Kosh-Sheridan dynamic and what's going to happen here. Like, I almost feel like maybe Kosh has chosen Sheridan. And I don't know if it was him or the organic chemistry on a ship or what, but there's a connection. And that maybe is why the ship kind of recognized Sheridan, but didn't hurt him. Because I feel like that ship can like fuck you up if it wanted to. Justin.
1: I mean, I do agree with Nicole that there is some kind of connection between Kosh and Sheridan, because even when they were in the hallway at one point and Sheridan asked Kosh, you know, they're talking about when Sheridan was captured and Kosh appeared in his dream or his vision or whatever you want to call it. And Kosh actually said, When I reached out, I heard a song, you know, your words were like a song to me, or something to that, to that effect. And Sheridan asked him, has it ever happened to you before? And he said, once. So there is definitely some kind of connection that he was able to reach out and touch Sheridan's mind uh, the way that he was that he maybe even Kosh himself hasn't experienced way too often. And maybe that's why he's kind of taken an interest. And even when I kind of went through and I wrote down the entire scene in Kosh's quarters, kind of word by word, pausing, restarting, pausing, restarting, because I think this scene is going to prove to be very important um when sheridan goes in there and just basically saying, look you told me to come here and now you want to throw me out what the hell you know i want some something from you and it's to me this turned out to be something that was like and you and sheridan's right like kosh didn't really interact with anyone else until sheridan got there And now all of a sudden, Kosh is hanging around at the council meetings and everything like that. And so Kosh has some kind of special interest in Sheridan. I'm super stoked to see kind of what that is, because the the one thing that I kind of took away and I kind of bolded and underlined it here in my notes was, you know, I will teach you more about yourself. And, you know, until you're ready, ready for what? To fight legends. And I'm super kind of I, I assume he's talking about the shadow people and I'm dying to know kind of what those legends are. And I got a chuckle when Sheridan basically point out, you know, just says, what do you want? And that is what got cautious attention turns around and says, don't you ever ask that question? I, I absolutely loved it. This That was probably to me one of my favorite scenes of the season so far.
2: Two two points to what Nicole and Justin have said already. Uh, To that first, uh, the last one you mentioned, Justin, the don't ever ask that question. Have you all noticed how many times our new members on our Facebook page reply with don't ask that question? Have anyone actually noticed that? No, I know why. No?
1: Now you know why. It it actually
2: happens almost every time we do the let's welcome our new people, at least somebody's like, don't ask that question. (laughs) Right. Another. The other thing too is, and this is a leading question, so you're all going to say yes now. Is have any of you noticed the voice inflection of Kosh, and if has it, it hasn't changed in the past few episodes? Has anyone
4: noticed that? Honestly, no. No. Cool. I mean, I thought it was a little deeper this time around, but I also listen like that's kind of my jam is voices. I won't say
2: why because that would be spoilers, but I will say that uh, starting a few episodes ago, JMS himself has started to do the uh, directing. Of the voice talent for kosh to ensure that kosh is making uh voice sounds in the way jms wants and needs him to so that started happening actually in all alone in the night during the dream sequence so jms regardless of the director is the one overseeing the voice acting for kosh because he's the only one who knows what kosh is up to at this point
4: nicole so kind of going off what justin was saying there at the end i also noticed that when he's when he asked what do you want And then he kind of snapped, like, don't ask that question, because that's what Morden asks everybody. So I definitely feel like that triggered him maybe a little bit. Um, Another thing that I thought was interesting and I want to know more about is when Sheridan said it was like almost like the singing thing. And then at the end, when the doctor said that the ship was singing to him when he was in his like a sleep or whatever, and like singing to the spirits. So like, what what is that correlation? Like, is that He's, I think he said some like thoughts turned into singing or something like that. I I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. But yeah,
2: Kosh said he listens to the music and for the first time he could
4: hear Sheridan. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really interesting to me because maybe is that like how he communicates is like, or like maybe that's how they understand people I, I don't know that was really interesting to me and then when the doctor said that too um at the end which by the way shout out to kash actually smuggling the doctor that was cool and unexpected he like helped out uh but yeah the whole singing thing is really interesting and i'm just wondering what kind of correlation that is going to have going forward
2: okay let's go ahead and move into the main cusp of the episode which is dr jacobs and the search for him
7: one thing to kick off with the Dr. Jacobs part, because I saw this on our, a couple comments on our, on our Facebook, as well as I've seen it in some other commentary on this episode, is some people feel the episode would have been stronger if Dr. Jacobs would have actually been, uh, Dr. Kyle, uh, who we had in the gathering, you know, and, and I can see that. I, I think that would have added a little bit of a dynamic and bringing back some closure there. But honestly, the actor that played, Dr. Kyle's health was to the point he pretty much retired from acting after the gathering. And we're, you know, 2 to 3 years after that at this point. So he he was well into retirement as an actor um and would not have been able to return to that role I don't think even if they would have tried to go that route. So I think that's why we ended up with this Dr. Jacobs character as a as a different character uh coming in. And I still think the story works. I just think that might have added a little depth and maybe Uh, Brought a little closure background, especially for, you know, those of you that are experiencing the show for the first time, that would have closed that loop a little bit on the gathering.
3: It's interesting to me that some shows make the decision to recast and others don't. Um, I've never been particularly uh, thrown off by recasting. Um, but I, I agree that that could have been an interesting twist to, to this particular storyline. And I do kind of wish they had gone that route. Although, you know, certainly the optimal would have been to have the same character back, but it must not have been important enough to JMS to recast, but certainly I, I, I wish more shows would give thought to that if if the character piece is important enough.
2: If Kyle showed up, it would have been freaking cool. But the other thing, too, is remember that Kyle was not the personal doctor to the vice president. Kyle went back to help with xenobiology, too. So mm-hmm. they may have had to kind of play that a little differently if they did that or just changed his title, too. Justin. One kind of
1: thing that I had a question about, and I don't know if this is something better saved for questions and predictions, but I'll just kind of throw it out there. Have the ID crystals always been a thing for higher level personnel from Earth Force? Or is that something that Clark implemented? I don't know if that's ever discussed or if it's ever they ever did anything with it because i thought it was just very interesting that when you're seeing kind of the rise of what i'm assuming is going to turn into some kind of totalitarian type system well all of a sudden they start putting tracking devices in all of their all of their high level personnel for their own protection in quotation marks to protect them against kidnapping or uh, whatever it was that, uh, that Cranston said. Uh, But then also just allows them to try and track where their people are and where they're going. So I don't know if that's ever something that is, has always been a thing or if that is
7: something that's new since Clark took power. I don't think they dive into it per se, but I think it's kind of implied that that's just been a thing. Um, And I mean, there's even been commentary with some that, you know, even certain figures under protective details have some kind of tracking or beacon device with them in the event of a situation, you know, and and that, that even exists now within, you know, there's been some commentary around that type of potential and different things, but Within this, like I said, I think it's implied. It's been a thing. I don't think there's any connection that says it's just a new policy.
3: They don't work very well. I mean, if you're on a if you're on a home world or, or anywhere else, you're not going to have an internal security system that you're gonna be able to track so if you're if you're stuck to a hand scanner you're not going to get very far in a world so uh it, it, it's surprising to me they don't work better than they do i, I suppose that's for plot convenience but
1: yeah especially since a hand scanner that only works like 50 feet away apparently yeah. like you have to be in the same hallway as the guy in order for it to work but and you
2: have to have jeff conway using it right yeah Am I might the only one that whenever anyone says cranston on this i keep thinking brian cranston I I did, too, the
1: entire episode. Same.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Who, of course, his most important role ever was Zordon in the Power Ranger movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, that's a good movie. I'm just throwing it out there. (laughs) I liked it.
1: it. I liked it. I mean I've got more to say unless someone else wants to say something. No one seems to be talking. I was kind of
7: thinking this would be a good one for you, Justin. This gets more into the conspiracy side and that that is kind of Yeah, I know. I've got like, I've got notes and I'm just you're not requiring for... the tinfoil on us, right? I mean you, you're no. you keeping the hat.
1: No, man. I actually was wearing. I put tinfoil on my head and sat there on the couch when I was taking
7: notes today. So good because I just bought stock in Reynolds Corporation. I'm I'm relying on you to money here, dude.
2: As a quad city boy, I would have preferred you bought Alcoa, but it's okay. <laughs>
7: I don't
1: really
5: think we have that down here. I don't think Alcoa is a thing anymore, is it?
2: Is it not? God, is it
5: not? I've <laughs> never seen it.
0: <laughs> I've been gone from the their uh, you know like. name.
5: Yeah, it's Arconic. Arconic. Or, oh. ar- or Archaic if you work there.
4: I just know my grandpa designed like all the machines in that building. Nicole, what do you got? Um, I did like how Ivanova kind of got a little sassy with Cranston and was like basically kind of telling him what's up um, when he's like, why didn't you tell me about this? And she was like, A, B, C, D. And didn't anyone ever tell you you can catch more flies with honey? Like she just totally gave him the business. It was awesome. (laughs) I loved that about her. Scott, you mentioned it earlier, but I really liked the conversation that Garibaldi and Franklin had on the stairs about the future and all that. Um, that I thought that was really good. And I almost wonder if that will be any sort of foreshadowing as well. They kind of made a great team. Uh, they had like a good dynamic between them. I really enjoyed that.
2: Since you brought Franklin Garibaldi again, uh, in just that search, I also love, and I hope you guys are starting to notice that JMS is starting to call back to his own other episodes now, because you've, uh, he's, he's basically telling you good job. You've paid attention Now I'm going to start feeding you stuff. For example, when Franklin's like, oh, uh, I would vouch for the doctor. He would never do anything wrong. Well, the last time you vouched for a doctor, we had an Iconian warrior walking around. And then also Cranston says that uh, you've used the uh, technology to track radiation twice already, and you haven't told me about it. It's just like, yeah, we remember when they did that. That's cool. Justin, what do you got?
1: Jumping on the uh, Garibaldi and Franklin thing, I kind of wish John was here because I would have liked to hear his thoughts about... Uh, the Franklin Garibaldi buddy scenes and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, it's, and that's what the one thing I like about Babylon five so far is it's realistic. Um, The only other show that I could really kind of compare it to is like maybe the expanse in terms of like how realistic it actually talks about the human experience in space. Whereas, you know, again, I think, you know, you said it before, Scott, Star Trek is very utopian and very idealized whereas I think if if we were to get to that point it would end up being more like b5 than it would be star trek and the fact that they even flat out said it you know after earth won the uh delgar war and they all of a sudden started rushing out into space and creating outposts and stations and you know we thought it you know it was going to be the the last great adventure and then they got out there and it was like well this is it like this is all you know this is what there is okay Like, um, I wrote down the quote that Franklin said about asking for that special toy on Christmas, and then when you finally get it, it's not as cool as the vids make it seem to be, so you just kind of throw it in your closet and never play with it again, and that's the human experience in space, and it was just something that I really enjoyed um, seeing because it was something that just feels very real. And that's kind of the things that humans have done. You know, look at the American westward expansion. We just kind of get out there and just be like, okay, well, we took over the whole continent. Now what? So it's it's definitely kind of um, very humanistic and very realistic in terms of its presentation. And then um, I've got a lot more to say about the whole Jacobs thing. And uh, definitely I've got I got some shit list about Clark, but I'll let uh, someone else go for a moment.
2: Justin, to your point about uh, I always to humans getting bored with stuff, I always remember that line from Apollo 13. You've made going to the moon as exciting as going to Disneyland.
4: Nicole, what do you got? Was it just me or did Garibaldi have a giant picture of Daffy Duck over his bed? He's always
2: had a giant picture. Yeah, of I've not the that first time.
4: How so, have I not finished. noticed that? Okay. It's
2: better like the whole series, yeah.
4: Okay, well, apparently I'm not observant. <laughs> it's his second favorite thing in the universe. Andrew, what do you got?
6: Uh, am I the only one who thought... Uh, Garibaldi's dis- disguise was kind of ridiculous. Oh.
2: He looked like Raphael <laughs> from the first Turtles movie. It's yeah. perfect. Oh yeah,
6: that's exactly what I wrote in my notes. It's literally the same disguise as the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> he has this whole line about the like they, they don't look at me, they don't look at me, they look at the badge, and like well, that's why, like, hence why he's disguised. But. Didn't really do much to hide his face, aside from like looking down whenever he's talking. But
2: whether you agree with it or not, that's the exact same argument that they used when Sinclair and Lando went looking for Adira. Remember, they went to the bar, and Sinclair said, "They don't see me; they see the uniform, and I'm usually not down here anyway." It's the exact same argument Uh, for why Sinclair was able to go around and be, you know, buddy buddy with Lando at the uh, the nightclub or the strip joint or whatever you want to call it. I'm not saying that's, you know, good or bad writing. I'm just saying he's used that exact same excuse before. Justin, what do you got?
1: Shocker, Clark was lying about being sick. And I think that's something that we've touched on a lot. Like, even during that original episode where it aired, was like, yeah, no, Clark's full of shit. He wasn't sick. And just now, finally, they're getting the evidence together. They're getting Haig sent, you know, his associate, uh, kind of meet with Sinclair and get that information from him. And I think Sinclair is, was very, definitely was a little more standoffish with her than he was with Haig um, during their original meeting about everything, because they're like, you guys should have nabbed this guy already. Now you're putting my station in jeopardy. Now you're reaching out to me. And he's just very concerned about trying to pull all the security off now because he's like, you're threatening to expose my entire, you know, my entire command staff. It's nice to see that he's kind of even pushing back against his fellow, I guess, co-conspirators, as you would call them against Clark. But it's, um, it's definitely, you know, refreshing to see that, you know, Sinclair, uh, not, not Sinclair, Sinclair, it's definitely refreshing to see that Sheridan is taking this extremely seriously and even more seriously protecting his own people because you know he knows what the stakes can be if if any of them get exposed. And the fact that Peg's associate was very clear that they're not only going to try to kill Jacobs, but they're going to church kill everyone that Jacobs talked to. So definitely you can see Sheridan was a little less than happy to have her on the station, but It definitely, I'm glad it all definitely worked out and we'll see what happens because once this gets back to Clark, that this information has gone missing and that Jacobs has gone missing, I'm sure there's going to be retribution. So I'm curious to see how that all unfolds.
2: Emily.
0: Did anyone else question whether or not she was trustworthy or is it just my trust issues flaring up?
2: You and your trust issues, my friend, my goodness. Who hurt you in high school, Mike? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Cole, what do you got I was gonna say something that that lady said at the end, um was uh as long as there's a, a next time that means there's a chance to win, basically uh in the war they need all the chances they can get, so I just thought that was a really poignant statement, and I feel like that was big foreshadowing. I'm very curious what the next encounter is going to entail because this one was pretty, pretty dicey. Justin, we got?
1: The last thing I'll say about this uh, before I take my tinfoil hat off and save it until next week is I'm glad they still got granola bars in the 2250s.
0: Oh, the Nutri-Grain bars that they were yeah, eating?
1: Yeah, the nutri bars that they were eating. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad that's still around because I still eat those to this day. And I've been eating them for 20-something years. It's probably why I'm in the great physical shape that I am.
0: I'm missing Daffy Duck, but I noticed the new triggering bars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I just saw that. And I'm like, okay, they, they've still got that there. Cool.
2: Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Anything else you guys all want to hit on that we haven't hit on yet? The one thing I want to just point out again, and I know I've beat this over the head uh, quite a bit. But I I'm, I'm really liking the fact that we are absolutely moving more into serialized TV you've got episode after episode that if even if it's not the main plot point. We are talking about the conspiracy back at home, we are talking about what's going on you you didn't mention it but i'm sure you all heard it. The whole point why uh, Sheridan was talking to kosh aside from trying to figure out who kosh is is we need to talk about the Narn refugee problem so that's continuing on so. We are definitely seeing that this, um, this show is really starting to make you have to watch episode to episode. That's only going to get more to a point. And I've also talked about it a little bit. The next episode is written by Peter David. And then there is one more episode after that written by Larry Tilio, And then we are done with guest writers until one episode in season five. The rest of the series, one hundred percent, is written by JMS for that very same reason. So we are definitely getting into the heart of the series now. Absolutely.
1: Didn't you? Maybe you or Blake or somebody said something about Neil Gaiman writes an episode at one point. Season
2: five. That's the one. I'm looking forward to that.
1: I love Neil Gaiman. Well, you've got about two
2: years, uh, about a year and a half. We'll get there.
1: We'll get there. Yeah. But
2: yeah, so Peter David writes next week's episode. Which is, they're all the honor lies. And then Larry D'Atilio writes Knives, which is coming up fairly soon. And then Neil Gaiman, I won't read, I won't say what the episode is, but Neil Gaiman writes one episode in season five. Aside from that, it is JMS at his typewriter the entire time. And it nearly kills him, by the way, during all of this, because it's just going to be him. But that just kind of tells you where we're going with this series and the fact that he feels that he has to connect all the dots himself to make it work moving forward you've only got two more episodes left where it's not him until we get to season five. let's go ahead and move into the questions and predictions for those who are just joining us the newbies have only watched up to this episode. And they have uh, been waiting to hand off any questions and predictions, they may have, although you guys have thrown out some questions already. And then we will have them promptly ejected out the airlock. And our first ones kevin blake mike and myself will answer all these questions predictions when they can't hear it which they love so very much so let's do questions and predictions and let's go to justin first questions predictions two questions two
1: predictions question number one what are the legends surrounding the shadow people that tosh refers to is he referring to the shadow people or is he referring to something stories about them or something about them that's going to help in the fight against them later on. Question number two, what is it that we need to learn about ourselves being humanity before we can fight the shadows? Is there some kind of, I mean, it's the way that I guess the feeling that I got from that discussion with Kosh is there has to be, you know, humanity's not ready. You know, we have to learn something, well, what is it do we have to learn before we can encounter the Shadows and and win? Um, So those are my two questions. And then um, prediction, more of a hope. We're finally going to get to learn more about the Vorlons and maybe see more different Vorlons, I hope, down the road than just Kosh, even though, like I said, Kosh is still my favorite character on the show right now. But I would like to see more of his race other than just the ships. I would like to see other Vorlons show up and maybe get to learn more about their culture. Um, And then my last prediction is Clark's not going to let this slide like there's going to be retribution and I've got a funny feeling we're probably going to lose General Haig at some point, like somebody's going to get exposed. And I think it's either Haig or his associate ends up getting taken out by Clark, and that's going to put Sheridan at a lot more of a higher um, kind of risk assessment about what he's getting, not only himself, but the rest of his command staff involved in. So Clark's going to Clark's going to take some revenge and it's not going to be pretty.
4: Nicole, questions, predictions. Well, you got a couple of my questions already. Sorry. I Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just really want to know what the connection with Kosh and Sheridan is and the whole singing thing. Is that like how they communicate? Um, and then I want to know basically what's going to happen next now that Jacobs is on the lam and. Uh, they have that information? Like, are they going to I know they said they didn't have enough to make it public yet, but I guess, will they eventually have enough to make it public? Because we all know Clark is a shady bastard. So prediction wise, I think that this is definitely not going to be the last we see of this situation. And like like she said at the end, uh, if we meet again, that means we have a chance. I really think as another prediction that Sheridan is is going to be Really needed to watch his back after this because I feel like he's kind of taken his official leap into getting really involved in all this, you know, conspiracy. Um, So I feel like he is is maybe in some trouble. And um, I'm just predicting that maybe things are going to be difficult for him uh, going forward. Andrew, questions, predictions? Because John's not here, I'm taking over
6: for the mountain of questions. First one. Why does Kosh not want to discuss what exactly he wants? So, and we didn't, I don't think we really touched on it too much, but the fact that uh, Kosh's ship is alive. So does that mean the ship can operate independently? And are all Vorlon's, Vorlon ships uh, sentient? Who else did Kosh appear to in a dream? What do, What other evidence is needed before going public with it? Do
2: you have any predictions? Uh, Not this time, no. Emily, questions, predictions.
0: I do not have predictions, but I have questions. Primarily about the Vorlon ship. So the ship is biological. Did they create it or did it evolve? And if it evolved, was it a symbiotic evolution between the Vorlon and the ship? If we assume it's something different or if not, which came first, the ship or the Vorlon? Because Kosh spoke to the ship like the ship has knowledge and knows more than even he does. And then the question about Sheridan's contact, is she actually trustworthy? And did they make a backup of the evidence?
2: You guys are still harping on that shit.
0: Seriously, you back up that stuff.
2: And no one ever said they didn't the last time.
0: Yeah, well, sometimes I question their judgment. All right.
2: We'll go ahead and end it there for our newbies. We'll be back next week. And as I mentioned, next week's episode is There in All Honor Lies. So if you are watching on certain other streamers, it may be a different episode that's next, but we are going to talk about There in All Honor Lies. Till then, please be sure again to like, subscribe, follow, click the bell icon, whatever you see in front of you on your app. Click it, click it, click it. Except for the down arrow. Don't click that one. Please also send us reviews on your podcast app of choice. Those really do help us grow. And finally, you can join the conversation through our Patreon or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Until next week, I have been Scott. And with me has been...
6: Blake. Emily. Mike. Kevin. Andrew. Nicole.
1: And Justin.
2: We'll see you next week with And They're All honor Lies. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by warner brothers or any other owners of the babylon 5 copyright all clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders they are included here for purpose of review and no infringement is intended the opening closing themes are available from falling matter on youtube
7: and what's out there the rim and
3: beyond that
4: the truth
2: Welcome back to beyond the rim. If you do not want to get spoiled about what happens after hunter prey, you should really leave now because we're going to start answering all the questions and predictions our newbies have for this episode. So all uh, most of the questions and predictions dealt with Kosh, which I'm not surprised by, because much like Mike, I think they're more interested in the alien shit than the Earth shit at this point. So let's go ahead and start asking these. The first one is, uh, has Kosh chosen Sheridan for something? Is Sheridan the one he has singled out? And is that why the ship didn't hurt Sheridan when uh, when he approached it?
3: I'm not convinced that they would necessarily hurt people that uh, approach the ship necessarily but i mean clearly sheridan has been chosen for the the task ahead which is the the war against the uh the uh the shadows and to uh you know help out with the rangers so um i'm i'm not convinced that that the vorlons would necessarily kill someone on the station that would approach the ship though yeah, yeah, I
5: mean, I think um, it's a security system. And I and i feel like the way Ivanova responds kind of implies that she has seen that happen before. Yeah.
2: You know, she just backs him up. It's kind of a fuck with me and find out system, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. if you get too close, this is what's going to happen to you. Because she even said, like, the, the maintenance workers, the maintenance workers didn't die. It's just they started having nightmares about the damage. Right. If it aims a gun at me, I'm going to have a nightmare about it too.
7: Well, I think we, we've commented on this, I think, when we did Babylon Squared and we talked about that end scene in War Without End, where you've got Valen and he's flanked by the two Vorlons. The, the Vorlons were absolutely there when B5 got, mm-hmm. or when B4 got delivered back to the Mimbari. And I'm still not convinced that the Vorlons that were there, because just looking at the way their suits looked, it's that, that, that that was Kosh. So Kosh knows who Sheridan is and what his destiny sort of is at this point.
2: Yeah, I think if the Vorlons are not immortal, they are very long lasting. And to that point, I have no doubt that Kosh and Kosh 2.0 were there with Valen and are there with Dukat, as we'll find out, and are continuing to be around Kind of making sure everything goes as planned. So, along those same lines, to that very question, do the Vorlons, and this is the one that made my eye like, you know, I, I got a little twitch because Nicole's hidden pretty close to home here. Do the Vorlons know what is coming next? Can they see the future? To Blake's point, no, they can't see the future. But they sure know what happens in the past. And our good buddy Sinclair has told them a whole lot of what's going to happen. The time loop hasn't t- turned in on itself yet, but when it does, that kind of explains the whole ball game And the fact that the Vorlons, when they receive B4, know exactly what's going to happen up until the very second that Jeffrey Sinclair goes back with B4. So they don't know everything, but they know enough.
3: So they don't know that Sheridan is going to tell them to get the fuck out of the galaxy, which is no. awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, too, I mean, aside from Kosh, Kosh, as he gets, he, and this is, I alluded to this when I told him about JMS doing the voice acting uh, or directing the voice acting. He is trying to make Kosh sound more um, mentoring and caring towards Sheridan as we're moving towards this point where Kosh will start looking at Sheridan much like a son and that gets really impactful when obviously kosh saves sheridan's life and then later has to die in order to move the ball along but through all of this kosh is starting to change because the vorlons in general don't want to leave they don't want the shadows to leave they want to continue the cycle to improve the species they play around the sandbox they fight the shadows through the other species those species that are strong, like the Minbari a thousand years ago, will prosper and become even stronger, and then the shadows will come back, and we'll do it all over again, and again, and again, and again. That's why Kosh 2.0 has to be killed. So
7: That's, You've got that scene with Sheridan yelling at Kosh, you've got to let me fight this war my way. Yes. Because it's not going to be that. And then, you know, he gets up there, after he gets back from Zaha and says, we can end this not just for the next thousand years, but forever, and that's exactly what they go do
2: so at this point still the whole and these are questions that come a little bit later on too is what's what do we have to be ready for kosh is still working under the assumption that yeah we want to defeat the shadows but it's not a plan to end this cycle i think i think kosh gets there in his relationship with sheridan but not yet but i do love i mean if you go back and watch because i after thinking about that with all Alone in the night and the fact that jms said during that episode he was starting to direct the voice acting if you listen to kosh talk to sheridan it is a different voice than what we usually get with kosh He is more subtle in his delivery than what Kosh usually is. The next question is Are the legends that we will be fought the shadows? Yes.
7: (laughs) I I still think there's a bit more to that, too, though, because I mean, because at the same time, there's that in that exchange is that line from Kosh about what would happen that no one was ready to see him outside of his suit that they wouldn't understand. Because what we'll find out when Kosh does leave his suit is Kosh, the Vorlons are also legends. So, you know, I think it's foreshadowing that a little bit too. It's not just the Shadows that Sheridan's going to be fighting. The Vorlons are part of those legends also.
2: And the other races that are helping the Shadows, some of which are (laughs) potentially first ones as well. What do we, a la humanity, need to learn about ourselves before we can fight the Shadows?
7: We'll let you know when we figure that out.
2: Yeah, Yeah. you know, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I've been trying to think about it. I, I keep going back to... I think he really is alluding to the fact that they don't want the shadows to know they're there, That they don't want the shadows to know that they know the shadows are there. Because mm-hmm. Delin is absolutely working with Kosh right now. We already saw that back in Chrysalis. She is working with Kosh at least somewhat. And she tells during Ship of Tears, Jakar, that the reason why they all let Jakar call out the shadow threat but didn't do anything about it is they did not want the shadows to know they were onto them because if they did the shadows would have moved quicker and they would not have been ready to fight them so i this i think it's a stalling tactic more than anything else my thought i may be really wrong and if i am wrong feel free to put it in the comments but that's my thought
5: yeah i mean maybe so i guess my other read on that is we've talked about how the Vorlons generally feel generally seem like they're very arrogant towards the other races and they're unconcerned with the petty squabbles that take place, you know, within a race or between the different races. And so maybe, you know, I kind of looked at that, like we need to hang up our bullshit kind of, kind of thing.
2: Could very well be next question is why does Kosh not want to discuss what he wants? and blake you've talked about this a lot it goes back to the original point of what the vorlons feel the best path for the galaxy is versus the shadows
7: mm-hmm.
2: The shadows are all about chaos the vorlons are all about order so who are you is the Vorlon question what do you want is the shadow question anything anyone else want to add to that i mean at this point
3: well It's pretty clear that there's beyond animosity between the Vorlons and the Shadows. So any any allusion to the Shadows, you know, in that question is probably going to elicit some sort of negative reaction.
2: Well, and the last time Kosh ran into Morden, he got dented. So
3: right. Case in point.
2: And of course, we will get more questions. The question of where are you going is going to be a big one. But to the Vorlons, that doesn't matter. Morlons just want to know who you are.
5: One thing about this episode that does, as a plot point, kind of bug me, is the fact that the Warlons have been very callous, you know, towards the other races and what they want, how they want to handle situations. They seem more or less indifferent to what any of the other races are doing. So it is actually very interesting to me how Sheridan convinced Kosh to let them hide the Doctor in Kosh's ship. Did he offer something in exchange? Otherwise, why on earth... Would Kosh have agreed to that under any circumstances?
7: Why would he have cared?
2: It's an interesting question. I don't know if I have an answer. In fact, I know I don't have an answer. Does anyone have an answer? I don't think it gets brought up again.
7: I I don't think it ever gets brought up or explained as the how or why Kosh all of a sudden decided to help out with that.
2: Especially after the little confrontation they had in the hallway. It just is interesting.
7: Yeah. I mean, at best, I could
5: think that it's him attempting to show good faith towards Sheridan so that they can... Proceed with their mentor mentee relationship on a mm-hmm. better footing,
2: maybe, but that makes sense that makes sense. an olive branch
7: Valen, a thousand years ago left a note that said they're going to need you to do them a solid <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know how involved Sinclair is in the day to day operations here, but yeah, so let's keep on moving with the ship now so is the is the Vorlon ship independent of Kosh, and are all Vorlon ships sentient
7: so I think the ship is independent because if I'm not mistaken when Kosh dies. Yes, they, basically they put the remains on the ship and the ship goes and does its thing. Same thing with
3: Kosh too. Yeah, yeah. and they and they allude to the fact that the ship mourns for
5: Kosh. Mm-hmm. Were- yeah, I mean it begs some questions that I don't think we ever get answered. And it's like, is is the ship how how smart is the ship? Is the smart is the ship actually in charge of Kosh? Because there's at least there's an interesting thing that happens in this episode that I noted and I think Emily must have noted as well, which is you know after. Kosh confers with the ship after the Sheridan incident. Uh, the ship changes its skin to display some writing, which Kosh then read, and he actually kind of bows to the ship in leaving. So it kind of it at least shows some reverence or respect um, towards the, the the ship itself. Uh, so it's kind of a question of well, who's actually in
7: charge here, potentially? Well, I think one mm-hmm. to say because one of the theories out there was that Kosh is the ship. And it's the encounter suit that is independent of Kosh, Mm. which I I, that raises some other questions because then you've got the whole poisoning thing and everything else. But Mm -hmm. it it raises some other questions as to how that exactly works.
5: Yeah, there's I mean, there's just a lot of unexplained sci-fi happening here. Because I think another you know another potential read, if you discount this scene that I just mentioned, is that you know it could it could be something different entirely, right? The ships could be more like animals than actual full vorlons in, in which case they're capable of mourning and they're capable of making a, a voyage home you know an autopilot trip or whatever but
2: the incredible journey was a great movie
5: you know and that's something that i think I, at least the new battlestar galactica reboot kind of reminded me of because in that the cylon raiders were alive but they are described as being more like attack dogs than they are you know as sentient beings mm-hmm. or, or fully intelligent right.
2: I'm going to go with the Sheridan answer and just say they're at least a thousand years ahead of us and there's no way to understand them. We have some more questions about the ships, So I think we covered most of this, but I'm going to throw them out there in case anyone has anything else they want to add. Did the ships get made or did they evolve? And which came first, the chicken, the egg, the Vorlon, or the ship? And is the ship in charge of Kosh, which we already kind of answered that one for sure.
7: I think they made the ships, but I think they figured out a way to make the ships have at some level of biological technology. And I mean, that even got mentioned back in Infection that they, it was widely suspected that the Vorlons had biological technology.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've also seen other Vorlon ships and we will absolutely see more Vorlon ships and they're all of the same design. So I think it's safe to say they are all the same biological entities, whatever that means.
7: Well, even thinking across, you know, the Star Trek universe, you had a couple times where there were sentient Spacefaring things. I'm thinking uh the creatures from Encounter at Farpoint. uh 10 Man. Yeah. Man is another great example of that. So,
2: mm-hmm. so our last Kosh question is: Who else did Kosh appear to in a dream?
7: Catalia, <laughs> because uh, with the vicar.
2: You're right. That's it.
7: Um, yeah, no. it was that because she made the comment that he was in her head.
2: Yes, and he says for the future, for the future, for the plotline we will never follow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yep. We've answered the question. Excellent. Good job. Now let's talk about the earth stuff for a second. Did they back the shit up? Yes. No, we're just going to say no, Emily. (laughs) Again, I, uh, for those who want to go back and check out episode last season, just because they don't say they did backed anything up. Doesn't mean they actually didn't back anything up. People back stuff up. It's okay. We don't have to have it all written in the damn script. I got into like five fights on Facebook over that one.
7: And as we'll find out later, there's a great machine down on Epsilon. It's going to figure this all out. They can get the shit when they need to. It's fine.
2: It's all fine. That's the battery backup in case everything else goes (laughs)
7: down.
2: You have the Epsilon, which uh, Ivanova will use to Mm. great avail. What other evidence is needed before going public?
5: I mean, everything it seems like they have is circumstantial at best. So if you're going to blow the whistle on the president of Earth and accuse him of perpetrating an assassination and a coup, then... you you better have some real real solid proof more than he
7: faked getting sick to get off the ship
2: Yeah, i think
7: think it'll be when ivanova gets that recording from epsilon Mm -hmm.
2: and and then so that's the whole point they don't know what else is out there they didn't know jacobs had this stuff until jacobs contacted them it's all about they're just going to continue to gather evidence as much as they can so when they have to pull the trigger they're ready because if you go in half cocked you're going to be in trouble well, let's move into the predictions and again we're back to the vorlons we will learn more about the vorlons and see different vorlons down the road Said yes mm-hmm. yeah i mean we're going to see more vorlon ships we're going to see a new kosh take over uh when kosh is killed kosh 2.0 the purple guy but we'll absolutely learn more about the vorlons as we go and actually we'll learn more about the vorlons through their actions but also we'll learn a lot more when lorien starts explaining to sheridan what the hell's going on too so all of those answers will be coming in the next several years of the show tick tock mm-hmm. between tick and talk, clark will not let it's this slide there will be retribution and we may lose general haig
7: we we won't lose him. He'll just be double booked on DS9. <laughs> yes, yes.
2: Tell us more, Blake. Tell and
7: us uh... killed off screen. So I, I love the outtake of this. So there General yeah. Hag does get killed off screen, and when his uh right hand shows up on the station, there's a uh outtake with him. Yeah. Uh Sheridan or yeah, Sheridan asks where uh General Hag is, and he looks and says, His agent booked him on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Because the actor that plays General Haig is Admiral Layton in uh, DS Nine Paradise Lost.
2: Yes, of course, it is a similar storyline. Therefore, the conspiracy continues. Dun dun dun! <laughs> I'm not even going to get myself in trouble this episode. I promise. Okay. DS Nine stole
7: the conspiracy and the general. Oh goddamn it! <laughs> <sighs> You're welcome. You
2: not have nice things, Blake. <laughs> Moving right along, Sheridan. Oh, and also the retribution. There will be retribution coming for B five, but I think it's not for this scenario. Right. It's just in general, especially when B five starts actively being engaged in the the work to overthrow the president. At that point, the president will turn his eye to B five, but I don't think it's gonna be because of this situation. I was gonna
5: say there was nothing about the way that this resolved that shed any
2: No, they came out right, Definitely. If, yeah. if anything, good buddy Cranston's gonna go home and get a beaten because uh He lost the guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: But this, you know, this command crew, they're all going to continue to work together and look in in every nook and cranny for info. And then when they get it, they're going to use it. And that is going to paint a target on them
2: and paint new uniforms on them as well. Right. Sheridan is going to need to watch his back after this. Well, not again, not after this, but as Sheridan gets more and more involved in the conspiracy to overthrow the president obviously they're going to have to start dealing with that more and i think what's going to be fun on the watching your back piece is when we start seeing night watch and they're actually actively watching everyone on the station i I can't wait for our conspiracy theorists to start watching night watch episodes and watching jeff conway become a part of Night watch for a while Mm -hmm. that's going to be fun
3: how much longer before they they start actively talking about night watch is it coming or is it is it the beginning of the third season
7: Beginning of the third season, because that's when the uh, public affairs political office person shows up.
2: Right, okay.
7: And and Sheridan about boldly goes where...
2: Oh, Everyone's oh, gone before.
7: <laughs> and Zach clearly does.
2: Poor Zach. Poor
7: Zach. All he Poor was Zach? Fun. She was
3: hot. Come all on. He did,
2: all he was trying to do was bring Lita Pizza later on. It's all he was trying to do. That's a whole other story, though. <laughs> okay, guys, anything that the newbies may have missed that you want to bring up or talk about with Hunter Prey?
7: Not so much with Hunter Prey, but it, is it they are starting to make the connections. They're starting to see some of the threads. Now, now a few of them need to lay off the tinfoil a little bit, but they are starting to see the threads.
2: Everything's on Front Street right now. The We know for a fact that the command staff are actively working to undermine the president. So sooner or later, they will move to undermine the president, and that will lead to them breaking away from Earth. So at this point... You can connect the dots pretty easily, like what's going to happen next. It'll be interesting how we get along that road and how we get there. And I'm also interested to see how the newbies become more or less interested in both sides of this discussion where you have the Earth stuff always going on and then you have the Shadow stuff always going on and how that stuff kind of interacts and doesn't interact in some cases too. It'll be interesting to see who is more interested in one over the other uh, and how they feel about how those stories do Converge and then diverge again more to come on that in about a year.
3: michael's does the later earth storyline interest mm-hmm. you later on, or is it always not something that you're interested
5: in? Um, it gets more interesting to me later on, but I'm still kind of here for the the larger space opera aspect of it. Gotcha
2: that's interesting. I'm looking forward to you elaborate on that more because I mean, for most people in the fandom i think it's fairly easy to say that some of the most important episodes uh and some of the mo- i mean highest rated episodes are um the basically the all of the stuff that really happens with the fight between earth and b5 in season four so it'll be interesting to see your take on that because i mean really the the space opera kind of goes to the wayside for quite a while and that point means.
3: of no return and severed dreams are two of mm-hmm. my all-time favorite episodes of the of mm-hmm. the series so not not that i'm disagreeing with you mike i just i was interested to see what how how your opinion evolves later on throughout the the series run
5: yeah i mean and honestly i'm i'm interested too because i do i do really like a, a lot of other sci-fi series you know justin's fond of bringing up the expanse because it's fairly current and i'll jump on that train too i do like the the politicking and that kind of stuff um for for me with b5 at least it's a series that you know when you've got earth and other races and a vast black space war coming it at least right now in my mind overshadows everything else mm-hmm. now i've not seen b5 as many times as you guys have i'm 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 a I consider myself like a first one by technicality because I've seen <laughs> the series in its entirety, at least once. A second, um, So, so I'm also kind of like, I'm curious to see how it evolves as well, you know, and maybe I'll change my tune as things go,
2: but. Let's go ahead and wrap it up there. And I'm looking forward to seeing that conversation continue to evolve too. Until next week, when we talk about they're all the honor lies, I've been Scott and with me has been.
3: Mike, Like. And Kevin.
2: We'll talk to you next week. And again, clicky the linkies below thanks
0: bye can you help me to understand you all right no problem you want mail on that